0: Listening to the Redemption Outreach Center's broadcast. As always, we pray that this will enrich your mind, strengthen your spirit, and serve you in the building of your faith. Today we are honored to share a recording from one of our former administrative bishops for the state of Eastern North Carolina, Reverend B. L. Kelly, shares his insight on the story of the cross. It's believed that he arrived at the garden about 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. It was about 2 to 2.30 before he got to Annas' house and about 3.30 when he got to Caiaphas' house. He was at Caiaphas' house until almost 6 o'clock. They took Jesus then to Pilate. It was very early in the morning and Pilate had his time with Jesus, a little after 8 o'clock, they they laid the patibulum, the crossbar. I do not believe Jesus carried the whole cross. There are many who will tell you that he did, because the Bible said he bearing his cross. But I remind you that it is not a cross until you put the crossbar up there. They put it on him about 8 o'clock. He went through the streets of Jerusalem and arrived in time to be nailed to the cross by nine o'clock. From nine o'clock till three in the afternoon, he was on the cross. They had him in the tomb before dark. Now, I want to talk to you about some of those incidents in there. I want you to look at the garden. If you read very closely to John's gospel, you'll find it says he, he resided many times in the garden with his disciples. It was, a, it was a place of rest. And he went in with his disciples and he left the core of them and he took Peter, James, and John a little farther. And, and then he went a little farther and the Bible said he fell upon a big rock to pray and he began to pray. And he prayed, Father... If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. There's been a lot of debate on what he's talking about when he says this cup. But I don't believe he's talking about 5 and 7, Hebrews. I don't think he was talking about his suffering. I know there's a lot of people who think that he was talking about his suffering. But why would he talk about that? He said, for this purpose, I came in the world. I came in the world to die like this. I don't believe he's praying that way. I believe that he could feel the icy hands of death because of the tremendous pressure upon his human body. Now, Jesus was ever bit human as though he was ever bit God. Let me read to you a passage from Hebrews 7 or 5 and 7. Now listen, only this, the only time this scripture fits is in the garden. Who in the day of his flesh, speaking of Jesus, <clears throat> when he had offered up prayer and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard and that he feared. Now notice, the only time this scripture fits is in the garden. He offered up strong prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And that he feared. What I think Jesus was fighting in the garden was not his desire to die for humanity because that's the reason he left heaven's glory is to die for humanity. No, I think that's not it at all. I think the pressure, the Bible says that there was a, such a pressure upon his body that, his, that the blood began to s- seep into the sweat glands and the sweat glands began to pour out blood mixed with the sweat and dropped down on the car, on the ground. That's called hemotydrosis. And uh, it doesn't happen very often, but it can happen to anybody who has such a physical pressure upon their body that they cannot stand it. What I think is the devil was trying to kill Jesus. Now, I don't believe he was trying to keep him from the cross because I don't think the devil understood what Jesus was doing on the cross. I don't think he understood that at all. I think he tried to kill Jesus on several occasions for one simple reason, and that was because he was the Son of God. Jesus came back to his disciples, and he told them to watch and pray. He said, couldn't you just watch with me one hour? I don't know about you. Have you ever been condemned by your lack of prayer? Have you ever felt like he only asks for an hour out of 24, just one hour? could you watch with me one hour? He left and went back and prayed some more, and when he came back, he knew they were there ready for him, and he said, he is at a hand that betrays me. That's often been wondered why did Judas have to kiss Jesus in order for them to recognize him. Well you've got to understand, they're in a grove, an olive grove, overlaying, and it was dark, and everybody there had on white robes, and everybody there had beards. And they said, "We don't think we can recognize him." Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver, just a a measly sum, the price of a slave. And so Jesus kissed Jesus, and Jesus said, do you kiss the Son of God, betray Him with a kiss? Now, the interesting thing happens right here. Jesus said, who seek you? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And when when they said, Jesus of Nazareth, (coughs) something happened. A bunch of them fell backwards. I believe, Pastor, that there was a streak of divine glory that left the glory world, and when they said, we seek Jesus, I think a little bit of that glory hit them and they fell. And Jesus said, who seek you? They said it again. He said, well, if you're seeking me, let these people go. They bound Jesus. Let's go to Annas' house just for a little bit. Annas was a short, skinny old man. He was very selfish, very self-centered old man. He had been the priest, the high priest, Now his son-in-law, Caiaphas, the high priest. His son served as high priest. In fact, if you read history, his grandson also would have served after Annas had died. Now, it is my belief that Annas was supposed to bring a charge against Jesus. You have to understand, the Jews didn't have the right to kill anybody. They couldn't kill anybody. They couldn't put them to death. Oh, they could try them at their law. They could punish them, but they couldn't kill them. They had to have the Roman consent to kill them. But the Romans are not interested in their petty religious squabbles. They're not interested in that. So I believe Annas was supposed to come up with a charge that would stand before the Roman governor, Pilate. When Pilate, when Annas asked Jesus a question, and Jesus answered him rather sharply, The guard walked over and slapped Jesus. Jesus said, why did you slap me? If I sold the truth, why did you do that? If you want to know what I said, ask the people. I didn't do anything in secret. What I did was all in open. They took him to Caiaphas' house. Now, there were 72 members of the great Sanhedrin. They're called 72. It only took 27 to make a quorum. Now, I understand if you can figure 27 is not over half of of 72. But that's what the book says. They had to have at least 72 in order to do business. They asked Jesus several questions, but you must understand this, this trial Jesus is going through is illegal. If you'll read the Leviticus order, they were never allowed to have a trial at night. They couldn't have a trial. They couldn't have a trial without a lawyer or someone to talk for the defendant. They went through all of their procedure and finally Caiaphas realized that he was unable to pin this down and so he he became angry and he got up and he rent his clothes and that again is against the, the Levitical order. It says very plainly that that the high priest is not to rent his clothes, but he did. When they pronounced Jesus, when Jesus, they questioned Jesus, and finally Jesus admitted who he was, and and Caiaphas said, you've heard him, he blasphemes God. And so they declared him guilty. By Jewish law, he could not have been pronounced guilty until the next day. They had to have a day journey so they could think about what they were doing. But they pronounced him guilty immediately. And then some of the people that were there, some of the high, high high-brow Jews, began to come by, and some of them slapped Jesus, and some of them hit him with their fist, and some of them cleared their throat and spit in his face. But in all of that, he never said anything. And then they took him at 6 o'clock to Pilate. I'm not going to go through Pilate's ordeal. I just want you to know two or three things about Pilate. Pilate was a military man. He didn't know anything about diplomacy. All he knew was how uh, to, to break people, and that is to, to hit them or to crucify them or to whatever he did. Finally, he had Jesus scourged. Now you can't, if you've seen the film, it does a pretty good job of depicting the kind of torture Jesus went through. The cat of nine tails, I've seen a cat of nine tails. It's, it's pieces of leather with bone or metal at the end of it. And when the guy would come and wrap it around his body and then he would jerk it back and he would jerk skin off until finally it is believed that his intestines were showing. He turned him over to the soldiers and they put a crown of thorns on his head. If my mind, if I could bring it up, I could tell you about the two nerves that it affects with this crown of thorns. One of them is in the front. One of them is the op- optypical nerve that affects your eyesight. And they pushed the crown of thorns down upon his head. Not only was his back bleeding, and not only was he that he suffered from that. And then they mocked him. They said, Hail, King of the Jew. Turned him back to Pilate. The people refused to release him. They put the patibulum, that's the crossbar, And they took him to Calvary. On the way, they had two stops. First, there were some women there. They had a group of women in old Jerusalem. Their job was to show pity and to weep for anybody that was crucified. And so they were weeping. And Jesus stopped for a minute. And he said, weep for yourself and your children. I think he was prophesying that a few years from that day in 70 A.D., Rome would come down with a hard fist and destroy Jerusalem and take the temple and go back to Rome and build the Colosseum with the money they got from the temple and the Colosseum still stands today. They went a little farther and they met Simon of Cyrene. I believe they met Simon right at the gate leading out. It was really only a few yards from the gate of Old Jerusalem to the place called Calvary, Galgotha. They met Simon of Cyrene. He was from North Africa. Now, a lot of people think he was a black man. He might very well have been, but there is no indication of his nationality, and there were plenty of Jews that lived in that area. They compelled him to bear his cross, and they bore his cross to the hill. The other two, the thieves, the malefactors that were with him, I can't imagine what terror filled their heart as they, as they approached Calvary, and they could see a big man with a mallet and a, and a, and a nine inch spike in his hand, and he's ready to nail him, and they nailed both of them to the cross first lift them up, and then they, they nail Jesus. And here's where I want you to zero in with me for just a few minutes. If I were to take the time and do it justice, it would take me, it would take me a couple hours, and I don't have the energy to do that. You don't have the nerve to stand and listen at me do that. But when they got him on the cross, Jesus prayed a prayer of forgiveness. I don't know, have you ever really been hurt? I mean hurt, really hurt, by somebody you love, really tore your insides out almost. It's not hard to forgive when it's time and distance, but it's tough to forgive when the pain is still gnawing at your guts. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He said, for they don't know what they do. And I I underline this in my notes. What does he mean they don't know what they're doing? Pilate knew what he was doing. He said, I find no fault in this man. The soldiers knew what they were doing. They were good at it. This was their job. They knew how to do this. No, I don't think that's what they meant. I think what Jesus meant was they didn't understand who it was they were nailing to a cross that day. (laughs) Hallelujah. They didn't understand that this is the same one that threw the stars in space who was there when the stars sang together. But then Jesus looked at the thieves one on one side and one on the other. Life is always like that. One man says yes and one says no. And one, they look at Jesus and the one man looks at Jesus and says, Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? What in the world did he see that made the difference that the other man didn't see? We don't know. Here's a thief. Male factor, the King James puts it, was, was, was the worst kind of a criminal. Jesus turns his head a little bit and pushes up on his feet because, you see, in that condition, your petrol muscles are paralyzed because you're hanging like this. And you could breathe air in, but you can't breathe it out. That's the reason when they broke their legs, they died very suddenly, because they could breathe air in, but they couldn't breathe it out, and their lungs would actually burst. Jesus pushed himself up by his feet with a great deal of pain. He said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Hallelujah. Today. I think when Jesus got there, I think he waited at the door a little while till the thief got there. I like to think about it like this. When that old thief got there, he couldn't hardly believe what he saw. You talk about a man could sing Amazing Grace who saved a wretch like me. Man, he could sing it with conviction like nobody else could sing it. When Benny died, my brother, Benny had been somewhat of a rascal all his life, he was somewhat of a thief. You were with me, were you not? When he died, I bowed my head and told the Lord, You got another thief on your hands tonight. You got another thief on your hands tonight. And then the Bible says there was near the cross some women. Among those women was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And there was another man there. His name was John. John was a young man. All the other disciples fled and left, but not John. John stayed there with Mary. Can you imagine? I don't know how to relate it. Losing a companion, I know how that feels. I know how it still feels. But for a mother who bore a child for nine months, went through the pain of delivery, and they didn't have what they have today to help you with the pain. I don't know what it's like for a mama to lose her son, much less see him so abused and on a cross. I don't, I don't know what that's like, but I have my imagination. And I think as Jesus, as Mary stood there looking at Jesus and John was supporting her, I think he, she might have said, oh, son, I, I remember when I first saw you. You were ruddy complexion and Joseph had cleaned you up from the birth and wrapped you in that swaddling clothes. and You know, swaddling clothes is, is, is not a peasant's garment. It is actually with staves. And when they wrapped the baby in that swaddling clothes, it kept the baby from hurting himself. That's what swaddling clothes is. And Mary looks at Oh, I remember you. And I think, Joseph, cleaning up the little one, lay it in her arms. And I don't know how it feels, but ask any of these mamas who went through the pain of bringing a child in the world and finally laying them in your arms. There isn't anything, I think, that beats that. Joseph, I think, went over to Mary and put his face down near Mary's face and and. And little Jesus <clears throat> began to yawn, and stretch his little hands. And Mary and Joseph admired the baby through a veil of tears. Some writers said that when Jesus stretched his arms and yawned, he was saying, it's been a long journey and I'm tired. And he goes to sleep. Yeah, I think Mary could have said that. Then I think she could have said, Oh, Jesus, I remember you, you were with me for 30 years. That's kind of a long time still stay with your mama when your daddy's dead. But, Jesus, I remember when we heard that, that John was preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and we both knew what that meant, that, that this was the time when your earthly ministry is going to start. And I think she might have thought Jesus was fixing to leave. And I think she could have said, Jesus, don't leave, honey. Let me fix you your favorite meal before you go. You know, mamas are like that, you know. And I think while she fixed the dinner, Jesus went out to the old shed, carpenter's shed where he had worked with Joseph. And what a precious man Joseph was. What a precious man Joseph was. They worked there, and in my mind's eye, I can see it. There is a long constructed building. At one end is is stones that they built houses with because carpenters were not just nail drivers. They were also, they dealt with stone and I can see on one end of the carpenter's shop, there's a there's a window, and the light is shining in, and the rays of the light, and I can see Jesus as he as he thinks about those times with his dad. He rakes his hand across the top of the bench, and. Little particles of dirt and dust began to dance, and you could see them in the sunlight, the glows of the sun as it went through. I think that's what I think that's what Mary thought went in and had a meal. And then somebody turned out the light. And it was twelve o'clock, but it was midnight. I have proof. I have proof in my my research that people in England, people on the other side, there was a strange darkness at that time of the year that they never understood. Do you understand that at the three hours it was 12 o'clock, from 12 to 3, do you realize Jesus was half of the time he was on the cross was in darkness? Half of the time. Do you know that it was during this time that God the Father laid upon Jesus the sins of the whole world? One of the things described about hell is outer darkness. Jesus went through a living hell in outer darkness to pay the price for our salvation. For three hours he was there and he cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? I don't have time to go into what that really means, but it, it has it has a real depth of meaning. Finally, it's light again, and Jesus said, "Did I thirst?" And they offered him vinegar but it really wasn't what we call vinegar. It was actually a sour wine. It was a cheap wine. They offered him, at the beginning of the crucifixion, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, which is a sedative, so he wouldn't hurt so bad. during and Jesus refused that. And he gave a real lesson for all of us, and that is, if you want to, Get rid of the bitterness. you got to spit it out. You can't take it in your system. But he didn't spit this one out. He took it, moist his lips, because it was a kind gesture by the soldiers. Then he said, it's finished. What did he mean it's finished? He meant that the reason he came is complete. No longer will they need the the priest to offer animal sacrifices. No longer will they need that. And the veil of the temple was written twain. Now why did he do that? To show us that we don't need a high priest to go in the presence of God for us. We have Jesus, our high priest, who's on the right hand of God the Father. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can walk into the holy of the holies without any help from anybody because we are kings and priests unto God. Amen. Jesus said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And he bowed his head, and his head fell over on his chest life left his body. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the same one you read about in John 3, went to Pilate to claim the body of Jesus. He gave him permission. We don't know how he got the body down, but in my mind's eye, I I can see Joseph and Nicodemus taking a wet cloth and wiping off the dry spittle and blood from his face. And I can hear them almost as they they talk about him, and they cry a while. And one of them says, he said he'd come back from the grave. Do you think he will? Do you think he will? And I can hear them say, well, he raised Lazarus, didn't he? Didn't he raise Lazarus? Yeah, I believe he will. And they took a linen cloth and, and they put it in a hundred pound weight of aloes and myrrh and wrapped his body and put it in Joseph's tomb. And there's a little story I, I found a long time ago. and I, I, I just related to you. When Joseph and Nicodemus were taking Jesus' body from the cross to the tomb, story goes that One of Joseph's sons said, hey, Dad, where are you going with that body? He said, I'm going to give him my tomb. And the boy said, but Dad, you know how long we've been working on that tomb for you? You're an old man. We don't have time to pick, to dig another tomb. And, And Joseph said, oh, son, don't worry about it. He only needs it for the weekend. They put him in the tomb. For three days and nights, death thought they had him. For three days and nights, death proclaimed victory. For three days and nights, the demons of hell had a party and said, We finally conquered him. We finally conquered him. He's dead now. We have defeated him. But in my mind's eye on that Sunday morning, there came one of the demons screaming into the concert hall and walks up to old Satan himself and says, You're not gonna believe this. He's alive. He's alive. The lights went out, and they quit having a party. Because Jesus Was not dead, he's alive. Have you ever heard the term, if the walls could talk? I've often wondered if the tomb could talk. I think it would go something like this It's early, light is just now beginning to creep up above the horizon. Light begins to shine in under the door. And I think if the tomb could talk, he'd say, Kelly, you're not gonna believe this. This is stranger than fiction. Said I held him for all this time, and and he never got away. I held him tight. But Kelly, I don't know what happened, but it was it was like a, a a burst of some kind, an explosion of some kind. and and the big rock in front of the tomb rolled back. And there appeared two angels. One was at the foot, one at the head. Oh, Kelly. I can't believe what I see. Jesus stood up. Oh, he's wrapped in grave clothes, but but he shakes them off as though there's no substance to his body at all, and they fall to the ground. And he takes the little napkin from his face and he he folds it neatly and lays it aside. Now there's a story in Jewish legend that goes like this that if you e- if you're eating at a Jewish home that, that does all the customs, if you get up and leave the table and you're not coming back, you just throw your napkin down. But if you're coming back, you fold it and lay it on your plate. And if that's true, what Jesus was saying is, don't worry, fellows, I'm coming back. this is not the end, I'm coming back, I'll be back, this is not the end. I think he looked at Michael and Gabriel, he said, hey boys, I want you to stay here, I'm going to go to the Father, but I want you to stay here, some of the women will be here in a little while, I want you to tell them what went on. And he left. I don't know that it happened like that. But it could. It could, And one day, in the near future, that same Lord is going to come. And I've heard people say he had prints in his hand. No, Joseph reached his finger in. It's not prints, it's holes. And I'm looking for him to come. Let me tell you something. You have been assigned as keepers of the cross. There is a poem written for me for a sermon that I preached. And I close with this. It says, The world was dark and filled with sadness. Yet Jesus paid full price for what it cost. With outstretched arms compels us with gladness. To be keepers of his cross. We are keepers of the cross. If you don't know Jesus today, if you don't have him in your heart, why don't you make this day a red letter day? Why don't you let this be the day when you turn it all around and you start going down the glory road? Why don't you do that? Will every head be bowed? Thank you for listening to our Rockcast. Be sure to listen to other episodes and share on social media. For more information about our ministry, visit theroccog.com.